One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board certified physicians who can prescribe FDA approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Ruckers, welcome to the latest episode, latest international episode of The Ruck. I'm Alex Lowe. I'm joined in the studio by Stephen Jones, who um, was a little bit late again. And down the line by uh, Stuart Barnes, who, who co- couldn't make it up to London. Barnesy, Steve, hello. Well, like, I may be late, at least I'm in the studio, and like Barnesy you know, sitting, sitting in his lounge. That is true, oh. yeah. I don't have the riches of Steve to live so close to the, the wealth of London. I've just got a Hang on out in the sort of <laughs> rustic belt that is Wiltshire. There's, a lot, there's a lot of je- 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 a jealousy um, associated with living in the Royal Borough of Windsor. Yeah, I agree. Oh, <laughs> nothing but jealousy, Stephen. Nothing but. Uh, how were your weekends, uh, both of you, Steve? So you at Tickenham? It went off a bit towards the end. Um, the, um, disliked um, everything at Twickenham between... The um, the the light show at the start and the try by Blamire at the end uh, hated everything in between. Um, uh, went to uh, loved uh, Fiji, but mm. ob- hated the result, hated the way the game was refereed, and hated the um, the the bad fortune that Fiji had. I'm not saying that they shouldn't have had a red card. Just showed where the game could be. Uh, and you compare uh, this famous in- new look England attack with the way that Fiji attacked, and you've got chalk and cheese, you've got gold dust and sawdust, and I don't have to tell you which one was was, was gold dust. So, no. uh, p- apart from that, um, <clears throat> very in- very interesting. Um, I wish my son's car hadn't broken down this morning at dawn, but otherwise, not bad at all. And the, the Iron Maidens, were they in action this weekend? They weren't in action this weekend, but we have got three big games coming up. Uh, we will be looking for um, any win as a great win, unlike Barnsley and uh, Quinney on the All Blacks. If we beat anyone, it will be a fantastic, epoch-making, golden, all-time great win, um, <clears throat> largely down to the coaching. We won't be experimenting like Eddie. We won't be p- putting people completely out of position and pretending it's a good idea. We will be picking the props <laughs> at props, the centres at centres, and the older players will all be in there. Um, Steve's referring there so we, we've got a chat coming up on the pod with Alan Quinlan um, and, uh, and Phil Kearns joins us as well double World Cup winner from Australia to to have a look at the Wallabies and, and where they are um, and Rugby Australia's bid to host the 2027 World Cup Stuart um, you, you you were at Twickenham as well were, were you a bit more optimistic? Uh, I, uh, fantastic I could go almost diametrically opposed to Steve I agree it was a pretty boring game. Um, Australia, as I thought, uh, without four or five players, never had a chance of winning this game. uh, And 
I think England were very good for 10, 15 minutes and they knew it. Um, they were then sloppy. It was a, it was a, oh, it was a poor international. It was a boring, I sat, I sat by Steve and, and yeah, it was not a very exciting game. But I think um, Eddie Jones has every right to experiment uh, with a new approach to the game. When he doesn't experiment and England play 1950s kick and rush, we rightly call them the most boring team in the world. When they do experiment, we're saying, what are they doing? They've, they've got to find their way again. And I thought Farrell and Smith wasn't an overwhelming success. True, it wasn't. No, but in the in in the try in the try itself, how Farrell and, and Smith um, flipped 10, 12 twice to put Stewart through, I thought that to, to me was better than the all of last season put together. And if that's what you call an experiment, I'm all for it. You're so right; I, it was better than all last season altogether. Bunsy, I'm I'm sorry. I know we have a bit of fun with each other. This is drivel. The the, the idea that Marcus and, and on one pass had a great game is one thing. Australia were abject, England were abject, and I'll tell you what was a good experiment, the Irish experiment of picking their best team, their oldest, most beastly team in the right position, that was a great experiment. On that note, Steve, we've got Alan Quinlan coming up next, and, uh, and after that we'll get deep into England against Australia. Alan Quinlan's on the line, former Ireland international. Uh, Alan, thanks for joining us. Um, how, the, how are the heads around Ireland this morning, this Monday morning? Everyone's still still, still heavy celebrating the uh, another famous victory over the All Blacks? Yeah, I think there was some celebrating, obviously. Um, I wasn't out celebrating, but uh, I certainly enjoyed, enjoyed the victory. Um, I was there, I was at the game, I was commentating for the World Feed, so it was, um, it was nice to be to be um, to be there and to see the performance, I think overall the performance was it was probably the most comprehensive and complete performance that this team has has put put in against uh, New Zealand in um, even in the two previous victories it was relentless and uh, yeah so give everybody a lift for sure but um, probably feeling a little bit nervous about getting excited given what happened in 2018 when Ireland had a brilliant year and. Obviously, the following year then was was very disappointing. What stood out for you particularly on uh, on Saturday from that Ireland performance? Who who caught your eye? Who who drove that performance for them? Well, I tell you, there's lots of individual performances. I think right across the board, the, the team played really well as a unit. Um, I think what impressed me was the overall the shape of the team, the attack, the execution. Um, and my cat deserves some credit because he's got some flack here since he's come in with Andy Farrell and, you know, the team um, have been criticised about, you know, too much kicking, um, predictable play, predictable game plan. I I said this during the week, to have Andrew Porter and Tyke Furlong on the same field um, at the same time just gives so much, so many options. I think Furlong is... For a number of years now, has probably been the best tight end, or right up there, if not the best in the world. I think he's the full package. He can pass, he can run, he can tackle. His scrummaging is excellent. Um, he's presence and he's he's a real warrior. And having Porter on the same field, um, you know, they put in so many impact tackles. 
And we found a gem in a hooker in, in Ronan Keller. He's strong and abrasive. He's, he used to play back row up to about 16 or 17. And he's been brilliant. So lots of options there in the front row with their ball-carrying ability and their defending. But, you know, the standout player was, was Doris. He just offers something different. Um, he's such a really, really intelligent footballer. He's athletic. Connie, Steve, yeah, I, I have no idea why you would try and stop yourself being excited. You've beaten New Zealand three times very, very recently. The other nations would 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 go to heaven and hell and back to try and have that that result. And I just don't understand some. On the weekend, we saw one team at Twickenham enmeshed and actually dying in the end in terms of too many experiments. In um, Ireland, you weren't playing the World Cup this week, you were playing the All Blacks and you beat them and you did so by choosing Porter, Furlong, Sexton, Healy, no damn experiments and you got the result. You lifted rugby in the whole country and I read this morning Irish people saying, oh God, we've got to be careful because of what happened. Blimey, it was a magnificent victory. And England, Wales and, and, and Scotland, France and everybody else would have loved to, to, to replicate it. Yeah, I agree, Stephen. Um, but we have, unfortunately, we have a, a small percentage of the nation who are very entrenched in, in our national game, which is the GA, hurling and, and Gaelic football. And uh, you have a little bit of resentment towards the rugby team and... They, they want to jump on the bandwagon um, when 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 Ireland fail at the World Cup. And mm. Look, they have. They've never got to a semi final, um, and the next one is not going to be any easier because they play South Africa and Scotland in their group. And depending on who comes out first or second, if they do come out of the group, they either play France or New Zealand. So the, there's a real possibility that Ireland won't go beyond the World Cup, World Cup quarter final again. So there's. There's, there's always a little bit of negativity and I'm sure you, um, people can understand that. It does frustrate me a little bit that we can't celebrate, as you say, for what it is against the, the most successful international team of all times when we, when we beat them. You know, I was involved in a, a good few test matches where we got walloped. Um, we went close a couple of times in New Zealand, uh, but we could never beat them. And mm. I think... The most pleasing thing about Saturday, and it's really important, Stephen, that this team in them, themselves, and I think I was pleased with Sexton saying it afterwards, it's no good if this is the peak. Mm. They've got to get better and they've got to find different ways of playing because there's no possible way you can go out every week and have that kind of expansion and continuity. Um, but we should enjoy it for what it is. It's, it's a, it was a brilliant result and a brilliant performance. I think it was probably the most complete performance um, but look, it was um, it's what they deserved, and I think they played a relentless performance. And like I said, you know, Mike Cat has received a fair bit of criticism. All the players have. Do they need to get more depth in certain positions? For sure. You know, if Sexton goes off injured or doesn't play, is Carberry consist- can he be consistently good enough to step up? Mm. Who knows? Well, Joey Carberry has has played the All Blacks four times and won won three of them. Um, and, and and there's a handful of, of players who. Who now have three wins against New Zealand, as you said, Alan. You, you and, and your your fourth bearers all, all strove for, for decades to try and beat them, and, and Ireland have now won three out of the of the last five. And and one of the threads of that, you talk about Mike Cat, but Andy Farrell, I think, has now beaten the All Blacks five times with England, the Lions, and and Ireland. Um, 
but I guess what you're saying there is his biggest challenge now is 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 to ensure that this isn't a peak between World Cups again. Yeah, the word peak is um, sometimes you can't control the peak. You've got to win test matches, and it's look, uh, you know, maybe against Argentina next week they'll they'll experiment a little bit, but they had to pick a, a strong team for Japan to try and get a little bit of continuity for this game. Um, we wanted them to be competitive. If they didn't win the game. Um, they needed to be really, really competitive and in the game. I think Andy Farrell has tapped over 20 players in, in the two years. So it's not as if he hasn't given guys opportunities. He had 11 new caps in the, albeit it was against, respectively, against Japan and USA over the summer. So he's capped a lot of players. But as I said, you could be playing brilliant rugby going into a World Cup and you either play, if, you, if things go well and you get out of the group, Scotland will have a big say at this. In South Africa, that if they get to a quarter-final Ireland, they're either playing New Zealand, um, which will be incredibly difficult, and or, or France, who are the home nation. So, you know, it's it's it's. But there's the, the talk continues about Ireland need to get to a semi-final. For me, yes, they do. But you're either winning a World Cup or you're not. A semi-final, you know, getting to a final, I think, for a nation like Ireland or a semi-final is a big thing, and. The other home nations have got there, and maybe it's something that's they have, a monkey that has to get off their back. But who knows? We, for what it is now, in the here and now, it was a lovely weekend and a lovely performance from Ireland. I, I'm actually quite encouraged when I hear people like Johnny Sexton, Alan, saying, you know, we've got to build build from here. And, and I get twitchy when I hear it's a famous win against New Zealand. When we talk about famous wins against New Zealand, be it for England, well, not Wales, but England or, or Scotland, not Scotland either, England or Ireland, what we're basically saying is New Zealand is a, a benchmark way above and it's a bit of a fluke. And Ireland have shown psychologically they can beat New Zealand and they play as if it's not a famous win, not for the players. And you talked about, you know, they might have to play the All Blacks or France in a quarter final. Their best hope of beating New Zealand in a World Cup is is not by going over the top when they beat them uh, in Ireland. It's saying, well, we're as good as you, we can do it. And I think, you know, the one country in world rugby that doesn't say famous win over New Zealand is South Africa. Now, I know the All Blacks have a, a better win-loss ratio than the box, but the box win quite often and one of the reasons they win and one of the reasons New Zealand loses, psychologically, I think, New Zealand play brilliant rugby. I love the way they play. Um, but they're psychological bullies. And when you stand up to them and say, hey, we don't care about your hacker. We don't care about your, your, your all black kit. We can take you on. I, I think that's absolutely vital. And I think the majority of the world is wrapped up in this famous win against the all black thing. And I think you've just got to get away from that. Yeah, I agree. Uh, and I think it is a psychological challenge. And, you know, Ireland go and play three tests in New Zealand next summer. There could be 10 different uh, New Zealand players um, in that first test match. And they could be three times better. And they could beat Ireland by 20 or 30 points. They can do that. We know they can do that. They can, they can unearth players. And they have a conveyor belt of guys coming through. And it is psychological. And... I remember talking to Keane Healy after the 2018 game and um, I met him after the game and 
he wasn't surprised because I said, you're very relaxed and calm in yourself. And he said, well, we, we expected to win. The psychological battle and the challenge is for Ireland now. You know, I, I spoke to Paul O'Connell uh, after the game and, you know, he he played so many times and never beat New Zealand. Brian O'Driscoll never beat New Zealand. These guys are kind of comfortable with that now and I think that helped them at the weekend. But you just hope for a team like Ireland if they end up playing, you know, even playing South Africa and playing Scotland, New Zealand, that they get a, they need a little bit of luck with the injuries and the top players being there. Alan, listen, thank you so much for joining us. Should we, should we catch up again in, in, in the week of that England-Ireland game in the Six Nations? Yeah, my pleasure, yeah. That'd yeah. be amazing. Th- thank you, Alan Quillen. Thank you. thank you very much for joining us on The Rock. Take care, mate. Cheers, lads. That was Alan Quinlan, former Ireland international. Next up, we'll have a look at the rest of the the weekend's internationals, including England's eighth straight victory over Australia and a chat with the former Wallaby captain, Phil Kearns. Joining us now on The Ruck is Phil Kearns, former Wallaby hooker, two-time World Cup winner and now executive director of Rugby Australia's bid to host the 2027 World Cup. Phil, thanks for joining us. It's an absolute pleasure. Great to be here. Now, I understand that you were trying to line up a beer with uh, Stuart Barnes and he snubbed you all week. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. That's that's just what five eights tend to do. Um, you know, fly <laughs> halves think they're just a little bit above everyone and uh, particularly forwards and so he brushed me. Stuart. Well, I, I've got to say, Phil, in, in my defence, I got a number of text messages from George Gregan saying, whatever you do, avoid the hooker. <laughs> uh, so you, you sound pretty chipper, uh, Phil. What, what was your mood on Saturday evening after after the game at, at Twickenham? I think massive disappointment um, at, at two levels. Um, one was the quality of the game generally, um, and I think that was driven by refereeing. Um, and secondly, was the quality of the performance by the Wallabies, which which was. Um, Poor, I think, is probably the best way to put it, and I think by their own uh, recognition, they'd say they'd say that. I guess, I guess the only positive, if it is one, is that England were the better team on the day, and they won, as as what should happen in in sport. The better team should win, um, and and England certainly did, and they deserve to win it. Does it show how how sorely Australia missed those those four players really who aren't on tour: Corabetti, Cooper, um, McMahon, Karevi? Yes, I think uh, Karevi and Corabetti, um, in particular, the the main ones. Uh, I think Cooper uh, played well. There's no doubt about that. Um, but you know, Karevi just provides that impetus at number twelve and gets you over the advantage line and gets you gets you moving. Uh, so they they were a big blow to us. Uh, you know, if we want to look at a positive, perhaps it's that some new players are getting more experience and. We're a couple of years away from a World Cup, and that experience could be critical. Um, but in terms of on the field, we, you know, last Saturday we did miss those guys. I just thought, Phil, um, you know, I watched the Scotland game the week before, and watched the England game, and th- there's no doubt at all, the sport as it is at the moment, you do need someone to punch you over the gain line, and and I think Dave Rennie's doing a fabulous job, and he's a superb coach. But there can be an Aussie tendency without uh, Karevi and Koroi Betty um, to get a, a little bit lateral, especially when they're not getting great ball. And, and you're not going to win test matches against decent teams by, by playing sideways, are you? 
Uh, absolutely. And, and I think part of that is our, our back line is not a big back line. You know, James O'Connor's not a big man. Uh, Hunter Paisami's solid, but he's, he's not a really big man. And that, that English back line are, are big and strong. And uh, if you're going sideways, you're easy to pick off and, and you're dead right. When we played against South Africa and Argentina at home, we did get that go-forward ball. Phil, give us some insight into, into how the Wallabies did beat South Africa because it's the, it's the conundrum that, that England are trying to solve this week ahead of playing the Springboks. And Eddie Jones has talked about the Japan game from the World Cup and, and his blueprint from there. He's talked about having to, to box clever against them. We had this conversation throughout our summer with the Lions and they ended up on the wrong side. What was the Wallabies' approach to those two games that they they won against the world champions? I mean, there's no surprise or no secrets to the way that South Africa play the game. Um, unfortunately, it, ha- it hasn't changed. They do have some very good ball running backs, but they choose not to use them and, and play that sort of bludgeoning style. I think that there were two things. The work rate of our forwards defensively was excellent. Our, our Quade Cooper kicked very cleverly and actually kicked in behind the South Africans quite a bit and put them on the back foot. So their kicking game wasn't quite as effective, which is unusual for us because our kicking game has been poor for, for a long time. Um, but the cleverness of that uh, really worked for us. And for some reason, our forwards, who are much smaller than the South African forwards, were able to get on the front foot quite a bit. And, uh, and when we had a strong defensive effort, um, South Africa actually struggled to get through us. It's one of the things, though, Phil, isn't it? If you if you've got someone who can get over the game line, people like Michael Hooper, instead of having to run backwards and sideways to get into the game, they're coming forward, and, and it does make it easier to get the lines right. And I think New Zealand, you know, you, you watch Ireland smash them at the breakdown, and suddenly the All Blacks, who are a fantastic support team, were all over the shop and. It, it it's so important, isn't it? It takes it back to if you if you pack, get your good set piece. You've just got to get that first nudge on, and then you're in business. That's right. And if you're you're running straight, you can get those little sneaky balls off to the side. And and uh, well, you know, England did it beautifully on the weekend with that lovely ball to the hooker who sprinted magnificently mm. um, downfield. It was beautiful to watch. <laughs> and those little those little passes and the little handoffs where you can get that extra meter or two, that's when your support runners come and come to the fore. And uh, and England did very well at shutting us down on that, but um, we just didn't have the size in our in our backline to be able to do it. Um, and that's you know we talked about Karebi and you know Taniela Tupo has been magnificent at doing that as well when he comes on in the second half. Um, maybe he'll start this week. You never know. Phil, you, you've you've been on tour now, uh, sort of following the Wallabies to Murrayfield where they lost and to Twickenham where they lost a couple of bruising results. But when I saw you in London last week at a, a, an event for, for Australia's bid to host the 2027 20, World Cup, the general mood was was pretty buoyant. The, the, the sense that after quite a number of years of, of, of real struggles for Australian rugby, that, that you're coming out the other side of it and you know, Australian rugby is, is on the way back was was a real theme of your presentation. Um, a, just expand on that, and B, how um, how important is winning the right to host that World Cup as part of the um, that, that sort of optimistic vision of the future? Yeah, it's, um, it's been a pretty dire couple of decades for Australian rugby, in my view. I mean, we did, we did make a World Cup final in 2015, and... 
you know, that that was great, but we failed to capitalise really going way back to um, uh, 2003, our World Cup in our home soil. We didn't really capitalise on that. Um, as, as you know, we have, you know, four, foot, four winter football codes in, in Australia and AFL and rugby league are very, very dominant. Um, so it's hard sometimes both financially and in the media for rugby to get some headlines. So for us to win that 2027 World Cup would hopefully provide us with the financial strength um, for our game to to remain strong. Um, but secondly, get the uh, visibility of our code um, to the to the fore, which is where it hasn't been. And partly that's been because the, the Wallabies haven't been as successful as we would have liked. Um, uh, and partly it's because of the strength of the other codes. You know, the AFL television rights deal is $2.5 billion. Um, our, our, the rugby one is a long way from that, let me assure you. And the World Cup, your main, I think your only rivals are the USA, who themselves have said they would actually prefer to be hosting it in 2031 rather than 2027. I know you won't you won't be counting your chickens, but what, what are the key threads of of Australia's bid. We were all there in, in 03 and, and it was a magnificent event. Um almost took the, the World Cup to another level. What what are the key strands of of your bid this time round that you're hoping to to secure the votes for at World Rugby? Well I think we're we're a very safe pair of hands in Australia in terms of big events. You know, we've hosted uh, Olympic Games in two thousand we've got another one coming in twenty thirty two um, we, we've hosted Commonwealth Games multiple times. We've hosted Cricket World Cups, Rugby World Cups, um, and we've got a bit of a golden decade of sport, we're calling it, or a green and gold decade of sport. We've got Women's Basketball World Championships, Road Cycling World Championships, um, uh, just a myriad of events. So, so we know how to run these things. We know how to run them well. Um, we've got a great community who loves sport. Um, I mean, Stu's been down to Australia many, many times, and knows how passionate we are about our sport down there. And I think probably the third thing is that um, we've got stadia um, right across our country and we're going to take this tournament right across our country. We've got a new stadium in Perth, which has now hosted a couple of Bledisloe Cups that holds 67,500. We've got the stadium in Sydney, um, Stadium Australia, which hosted the Olympics, which holds about 83,000. You've got the MCG, which holds um, about over 100,000. If you go up to North Queensland, we've got a brand new stadium there that opened literally six months ago. Um, and then in Sydney, the old people would know the Sydney Football Stadium. Well, that's been pulled down and rebuilt, so that will be brand new as well. That's opening in September of next year. So right across the country, we've got venues which can host this, which are used to big events. So we see ourselves as not only a very safe pair of hands, but... Um, as Stu may have tasted a glass or two of um, Australian red wine, which um, is also pretty good. <laughs> so the food and art around the country has really developed Indigenous art, Indigenous food, um, and I think that'll be a great legacy for, for our World Cup. Magnificent. Well, Phil, thank you very much for, for joining us. We'll, we'll probably get you back on once once that vote's gone through um, and we can all start looking forward to to planning our trips down, down under, not only next summer when England go on, on tour, but but in a couple of years' time for, for the World Cup too. Um, Phil Kearns, thank you very much for joining us on The Ruck. It's an absolute pleasure and uh, very happy to host you guys down south and you can raid my cellar. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. 
Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. So, Steve, I stopped you in full flow earlier um, as you were dissecting Marcus Smith. Now, Phil Kearns there was comparing him with with Quade Cooper and and, and has spotted the skillful potential in him, uh, the possibility that he could do to the Springboks next week what Quade Cooper did to them in the Rugby Championship, kicking him behind, um, playing tip-off passes, offloads, playing in the wider channels. You remain to be convinced about Marcus Smith even after the glimpses you saw on Saturday. Well, I do, but that's not the point. I mean, the thing is, there's no way that Marcus Smith can do that if they have a, a kid playing on the loose head if they if they all throughout the team they start changing stuff, if they give Marcus Smith the chance to play with the proper platform in a proper position with proper forwards doing proper scrummaging, maybe maybe we'll find out. But we won't find out if he's brilliant or useless if unless Eddie picks a team to stand up to the opposition, which he hardly did against Australia, leave alone South Africa. Well the the loose head issue was was not, not his fault. Was I mean he lost his first two loose head options had to had to promote Bevanrod on, on the, the eve of the game. Mako's away on holiday. Yeah, but if you've picked him, you treat him as a full-scale international player. You don't make excuses for him to say, oh, I thought he did really well. Held his end up. He's got a lot to learn. To hell with that. You picked him as the England starting loose head. So treat him like an international, a full international player. He quitted himself, all right, didn't he? A few, a few penalties early against... Uh, James Slipper, who admittedly was playing on the on the opposite side to where he normally plays. Well, he was playing James Slipper. Let's be fair. <laughs> I mean, he ought to wore, for all the effectiveness that James Slipper has, he should wear slippers. He's never been he's never been that great. And and you know, look, you got to you got to sort out your your loose heads, or you got to sort out your. Your, your, your line of succession better than mm. that and he's never done it no one knows what the England team is including Eddie no one knows what the next lot is and no one knows what the third lot is Stuart do you well, expect I I, sorry I was going to say I don't think there'll be many changes um, like you say Rod came in late we'll be back to the normal England situation uh, at loose head for South Africa um, I think Don Brandt should play eight and Curry should play six but Jones's coach, that's up to him, but it's it's a familiar back row. Um, it'll be a familiar pattern in the midfield. Yeah, they they they, they messed around with Stewart as a full back playing wing, as Tuolangi a wing playing centre, and Slade a centre playing half centre half full back. But it didn't work fully, but it didn't go wrong. And I think if if Eddie Jones thinks that's the way England play. I don't have a problem. I don't think you have to be compartmentalised. I do think it is archaic that an outside centre is just an outside centre. And I see nothing against a coach being able to say, I'm going to try something different. He has to be consistent now. He has to stick with it. We can't have the Eddie Bull where he says one thing one day and another the other. But last year he was negative full stop. This time he is being positive and he's not doing it just to try and be a mad scientist. I think he's doing it. I think Martin Gleeson has an impact there, the way the English running lines are. And I think he sees an improved England there. Um, I'm looking forward to the South Africa game. I think that it's quite possible that Smith 
uh, in tandem with Farrell. I'm a bit more concerned about that, but I think it's possible those two can get to the gain line, not be scared to play 10 yards back, bullied by South Africa's power. And I think when you get into the face of the South African defence, the later you pass, the more chance you've got of cutting them to pieces. Which That's is what, what Cooper did with Karevi. And I think England could do that using Tuolangi blasting off the wing. We didn't see it much this week. There's a reason for that, because some things you keep a little bit hidden. He wasn't really playing on that one. He was, he was wearing 14, but he he was the only member of that yeah. battle line who actually sort of played played the role that he was that he normally plays. We had you know, Slade dropping into fullback, Stewart on the wing, which um, which fits with with Eddie's vision of trying to play two fullbacks in in his back three, and and um, and Farrell was playing really as first receiver and doing exactly as you say, Stuart. He was he was playing late passes up on the on on the gain line, which. Like, you know, it's, it will take a brave fly off to do that against against that big box team, but it's exactly what they'll need to do, isn't it? Ch- Ch- Chaps, let me ask you a question, both of you. Are we going to um, <clears throat> are we going to ignore the fact or forget the fact, blindly ignoring it that d- d- first of all, Dayalendi is playing career rugby at the moment, completely out of his skin. He and Lacanu Am are by no means the dullards they're portrayed, but they are ferociously physical. So we're going to leave Marcus and and, and Owen to ha- handle this in midfield, and we're going to keep Tuilangi hanging round on the wing like a some, like a storm waiting to happen. Are you serious? But he wasn't hanging around on the wing, and he won't be against. He won't be against South Africa. Why don't you play him in his proper position well, he, he against was... the two most physical centres you've ever seen? Well, I think he was playing in his proper position, and I'm sure he will against. Uh, against the Springfields, I think what 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 Stuart's talking about, what Eddie, the, the way that Eddie described it afterwards, was he would rather go to a basketball situation where a player picks his number uh, for the season, so they're not defined by the jersey that they wear. Like I don't think I, I don't think uh, when England blew that chance, when Henry Slade should have put Johnny May away, that had nothing to do with the whether he was playing centre or fullback. That was just a, a poor execution of, a, of an opportunity. It had nothing to do with. With the rotation, I don't think it didn't it didn't necessarily work, and I think the way that England's attack didn't fire how they would want was as much to do as as Phil Kern said about about the, the refereeing and and how slow the the ball was between uh, from the breakdown and how the Wallabies just just counterucked and, and attacked there and made made life tough for England. Can I just ask you another question then? This thing about oh, it doesn't matter about the jersey numbers. I reckon I first heard that 20 years ago with Brian Ashton, Stuart. Uh, yeah, but I'm... Brian Ashton had, had the skill as a coach. That's been tried a thousand times. doesn't matter about the jersey numbers. It does because England are confused enough as it is. When you tell them to go somewhere else that's not on their jersey, they get absolutely, totally confused. Now, uh, see, I think Henry Slade uh, looked like a bloke who knew what he was doing. And everyone's just talking about the, the two diagonal runs. I think one, Johnny May should have come and he was the fault. Uh, but you can't just pick an incident here and there. Tuolangi, he in fact bolted up defensively once or twice and he's got to be a bit more cautious. He gave penalties away playing his position. But let's look at it this way. Jones said before the game he wants England to get their best backs out. Now, that probably would be the line that the back line they, they put out against uh, Australia. Adam Radwan, I think, is a tremendous talent. But would I want Radwan trying to win a game in attack against South Africa? Or would I want a structure where uh, Freddie Stewart 
shifts defensively to the wing to stop South Africa winning there against Mapimpi. I know what I'd rather do, and I think tactically it works. And, and, and you know, I, geez, there's not been too many people. There might be one here who's been more critical of Eddie Jones than me over the years. Uh, but I think when you come up uh, with a strategy that might just work, let's wait and see, because it's not an experimental England team. It's not a fanciful England team. It's an England team that has been picked and prepared to take on South Africa. And, and by the way, Steve, you talk about Allende and Am, and you're absolutely right. They're tremendously underestimated centres. They're brilliant players. But when Quade Cooper stood on the game line and produced men right on that line, they split South Africa all, all ends up in the back line because South Africa are not used to teams using their own gain line rush speed against them. They're not and used to Quade Cooper, you mean? No, they're not used to fly halves, having the guts to wait, to delay and put, uh, okay, they had Karevi, but you create holes by waiting. The defence the defense makes those holes for you. They come up so quickly that when you shift late with the pass and you've got a centre or a winger who can just move away, the hole is there. Now, against South Africa, you need balls of steel to do it. I don't dispute that, but I think that Smith has them and I think he might just pull Farrell up with him and we might see something that will surprise an awful lot of English fans. Do, do, do you know what? We need, they, we need, they need surprising. Alex, you, you, you're a, um, um, well, as we all are, we, we've been in journalism a long time. Let me give you another thought of the weekend. I always read all the papers on Saturdays and Sundays, and newspaper editors and sports editors, say what you like, are among the cleverest people in the game for understanding what the people are, want to read, what they don't want to read, what they love and what, what pisses them off. I have never seen international rugby involving England so low in the priorities of sports papers and sports news programmes as this weekend. And that goes, I, I'm not even going to... And that's because people know the fans are losing faith with with the, uh, people out there with the endless struggles and the lack of alacrity the endless shilly-shallying and, and 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 changing of the team rugby was behind the in terms of coverage, it was behind the T20 final, which didn't even involve a British team, way behind Lewis Hamilton, way behind football. Uh, and I think rugby is, was, has go, is going down the list. It is sliding down because sports editors are clever enough to know when the game is turning people on and when it's turning them off. Well, in the times we had... A separate pullout for the for the rugby, so I think we we know that our readers want want to want to read about the game, but but I don't think that that doesn't that, that doesn't undermine the point you're making, which we have discussed on the pod before about where the game is in in the the general consciousness, where where its its vision is, where it where it's going commercially, and and how how you know this you know talking to my dad, you know it's just apocryphal story, but just 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 talking to my dad who didn't know the games were on Amazon loves. Loves the rugby, would always go to Twickenham, didn't even realise it was on Amazon. What wouldn't have found it if I hadn't told him? You know, r rugby does have those challenges. I, I don't don't disagree with you. I think, f f I mean, the narrative for this weekend is obviously 
revenge, it's World Cup final, it's harping back two years. Stuart, you said there that England are building a team to play South Africa. Do you think do you think Eddie's been plotting for this game since the Six Nations, since he decided or recognised that that he could no longer keep going down the road that England were going down that, that led them to fifth place in the Six Nations, that he that everything for this year since then has been geared around this weekend's match? I think last year was an aberration. It was awful. Uh, and he lost the plot and he tried to talk himself out of it by being uh, a little bit too cute and clever. Somewhere along the line, I think uh, he he has understood that England are going nowhere playing that way. And he is trying to change it. And there's no doubt at all that Tonga was a prep for Australia and Australia is a prep for South Africa. Jones is the sort of bloke that he remembers things that go wrong. And this entire autumn is built around South Africa. Jones is also smart enough to know when he saw there was no Karevi, no Cooper, no Cory Betty. He knew England were going to beat Australia. I, I wrote Friday in the paper, Australia have more chance of winning the 2023 World Cup than they have of beating England tomorrow. And that wasn't me being clever. It was a reflection that if you watch Australia and you understand their lack of strength in depth, they never had a chance. And, and to be honest, Steve, I think that one of the reasons you think that the coverage was low down the list is because Australia were not perceived as the threat. England, South Africa could be an equally boring game. And if they win by one point, it'll be on the front page with your good lines and words of the Times, Sunday Times. Oh, Jesus, if only if that... So the, that was a build-up. That, that, the way they played against Aussie was a build-up for South Africa. If that's true, I'm going to recommend to my sports editor and go and do Port Vale seconds on Saturday. France played Georgia, and for half an hour, nothing happened. France will not play that against New Zealand because they were preparing themselves. Steve, I've said it was a boring game. It was, and England lost their way. But for 20 minutes, you could see a pattern and what they were trying to do. And when you have a warm, when you use something as a prep game, as a warm-up game, you do not show your hand unless you're going to lose a lot of money playing poker. Steve, you were quite, you clearly pretty deflated by, by the men's result. That England women beat Canada 51-12 at the weekend. Another storming victory for Simon mm. Middleton's team. Mm. Um, 17th straight win for the Red Roses, seven tries in the game. Um, we'll hear from Jess Hayden in a second, who, who was at the stoop covering the, the the game for the Times. But did you catch any of it? Yes, got all of it. And, and look, uh, again, it's a slightly double-edged sword because England are, are way ahead. Mm. Um, Canada then next, but a fair way behind. Next game against USA, who are again way behind. And there's this t- this tier system has developed, Alex. And um, the tiers, instead of having gradu- graduated tiers, there are huge, huge steps between them. And I'm slightly worried about the World Cup in that when it gets to the key stages, there are not going to be enough close games. I mean, in England, it's not their business to have a close game. It's their business to go out and win the World Cup. But un- unless there's some massive revival in New Zealand, um, and, and New Zealand and Canada are roughly the same level at the moment, I slightly fear for the tournament in terms of you you don't want semi-finals of 60-0. But at the moment, that's what we're looking at. We'll hand over now to Jess, who was at the game. England thrashed Canada 51-12 on Sunday at Twickenham Stoop in the first real test of the Red Roses this autumn. 
Despite a challenging first half in which England were in the rare position of having to come back from behind, the Red Roses regained their composure to score seven tries against the visitors, including two tries from debutante Heather Cow, who opened the scoring in just two minutes. This is England's 17th win in a row, placing them just one behind England's men's team's record of an 18-match winning streak. You can read the full match report on the Times website. Elsewhere this weekend, Wales women beat South Africa at the Cardiff Arms Park 29-19. This was the second win on the trot for Wales against a relatively new South African side. What the visitors lacked in discipline, they certainly made up for in physicality. In Edinburgh, Scotland came back from a half-time deficit of two points against Japan to win 36-12 with four second-half tries. And finally, Ireland beat the USA 2010, but it was a match dominated by off-pitch controversy. Last week, Ireland Rugby's Director of Women's and Sevens Rugby, Anthony Eddy, made comments during a press conference which members of the Ireland Women's Rugby team say blame the squad's recent failure to qualify for the World Cup entirely on them. A number of players spoke out against Eddie and he has since apologised for his comments. There is just one more weekend of Women's Autumn Internationals to come. On Saturday, Ireland play Japan at 3pm, live on RTE2. On Sunday, England play the USA at 2.45, live on BBC2, and Wales play Canada just after at 5pm, which will be live on BBC2 Wales. That was Jess Hayden. Um, so elsewhere in the men's game this weekend, Scotland um, played some, some really good rugby to, to be in at half-time against South Africa, but went down 30-15. Japan needed a late intercept try to make their scoreline against Portugal look um, look slightly more emphatic. They won it 38-25, but it was it was it was a last gasp intercept try as as Portugal were, were pushing for for a try uh, try of their own, which uh, which blew the score out slightly, um, which is which is a, an enormous result for Portugal. And Portugal are one of those teams along with Spain who, if World Rugby votes in this new uh, eligibility rule at the end of the month, will suddenly be able to call upon players who. Um, have played age grade rugby, A rugby for for other other nations, and um, it's not just a Pacific Islands uh, rule. This one that they're looking to bring in, it could actually have real benefit for, for for a few of the lower tier European nations too, Portugal and Spain in particular. And um, and we should go back to the principality where where, where we, which we touched on earlier, Wales defeating Fiji thirty eight twenty three. Fiji played pretty much the whole game with fourteen men, sometimes down to thirteen. Um, Stuart, what did you what did you make of uh, of that game and, and and the refereeing and the those decisions? Wales won the game, but Fiji come out of it long term with the honours. I mean, Wales got five tries, but three of them were against thirteen players, and that's partly Fiji's fault. I don't dispute the red card at all. Uh, I felt though that it's often the case with Fiji; uh, they're they're not the big nation, and they are very physical. And I just think. Sometimes see things are seen against Fiji that aren't against others. And two instances from that game. One, the red card. I don't dispute that it was a red card, but I was watching it on television. There were five angles of it. Four of them were slow or super slow-mo, which having worked 25 years in television, I can tell you that is designed to make it look as bad as possible. One was at full time, which at full speed. It doesn't look as bad, but it was a red card. But that just emphasised what was happening at times. The other one, Louis Rees-Zamet's try on the stroke of half-time that was disallowed. 
a kick had gone over the plane of the touchline quite clearly. Reese Zamet clearly his feet hit the ground before the ball back went back in. The try was scored. It was a fabulous looking try. And I'm thinking, are they going to go back and look? And they did, but they spent forever. Two things, forever. One, because they were desperate. They wanted to give that try. And two, Nick Berry in that game, and he wasn't the only ref. I don't know what you think, Steve. They, they, this forensic thing that we get from referees, they tell all the crowd and television what's happening. It's a wonderful show, but they spend two minutes doing something where you think nine times out of ten, it's pretty obvious. And I thought things there, I, I think the second tier still get a very rough deal. And two, referees have to be quicker in their decision making. Just it's vital. It's just dragging on and they take wrong right decisions take way too long. Totally agree. Totally agree. Tier two still getting pulverized. Felt very sorry for Fiji. Uh, I totally agree with the uh, the time they take now, nowadays. Instead of the referee and the touch judge having a um, um, uh, a, a quick debate, sorry, the referee and the TMO having a, t- uh, a quick debate, the touch judges seem to join them as well. They put their oar in. You might as well have the referee's mother coming on to, to join in the debate and, and and several more. Why don't we have a big debate and bring up some rolls and, 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 and drinks on to make it a real party? It, it, it is it's absolutely ridiculous. I thought Fiji were refereed out of it. I thought they could easily have won if it had been 15 against 15. You fear for Wales and the attacking energy and even, to a certain extent, the discipline of Fiji was superb. And I totally disagreed with the last, with the late Sinbinin, where the guy who was Sinbin for bringing down the mall was nowhere remotely near where the mall came, came down. Really shocking. Um, on, on the officiating thing, the other thing, Alex, Steve, I was watching that game, and, and I'm not trying to be cute here, but there was a moment when I thought, who's in charge of a game of rugby? Because I've seen a couple of matches where referees have said one thing, and in, in fact, yeah, Berry wasn't going to give a red card, which he would have been wrong, but the TMO just said no, and he kept going back and back and yeah, back. And this yeah. happens a lot now. Is a ref going to make a decision? And every time the TMO doesn't like it, he says, look at this angle, and he slows it down. It's a sort of officiating anarchy going on. T- totally agree. Just one more point, Stuart, on the on the on the tier two, etc. You know, this is this is Fiji's big game for biggest game for some time. And Alex, I think uh, we I think there were six or seven Fijians who didn't play, including Nandolo, who was who played for Leicester. Mm. Now, surely everyone is demanding that that the the, the regulation nine um, imposes a sacred availability on international rugby. Sure, I was really disappointed in that Nandolo went to play for Leicester. He didn't have to. Uh, if Leicester put pressure on him, that's very poor. If he felt guilty, that is also very poor. It should be regulation nine, you go and play for your country. And that is where they should all have been. I, this I, is why, sorry, th- that is why um, Steve was so disappointed. One of the reasons, so disappointed with Twickenham, because the Japanese clubs basically said, we spend a lot of money, we yeah. want you having a mm. pre-season, and Cooper, McMahon, and most of all, Karevi and Corey Abetti, they were missing, not because the Japanese said you can't go, 
but they let it be known that they would rather they didn't. And it does make it hard, Steve, if your clubs say we'd rather you didn't go. Yeah, Bottier sure. was in pretty much the same situation with um, La Rochelle and Fiji. I sure. think I think what that game has done. The other thing we should remember actually is that is that Fiji's coaching team have all been have all been put in place for this tour by World Rugby because they didn't they weren't able to to tour and travel with the with the squad from from the Pacific. So you know, bear in mind that they're without players and they're without a stable coaching team to to play the way they did was was a magnificent achievement and incredibly exciting. But has also set up that World Cup pool match between. Wales and, and Fiji beautifully wow, and those, those of us who were in Nantes in 2007 will, will never forget that occasion um, when, when when Fiji got the better of Wales and, and, and knocked them out um, so it, it it's teed up it's definitely teed up that, that game brilliantly and and hopefully by then Nola will be back and, and um, Rondranjo will be fit and uh, and they'll be they'll be even more even more potent than, than they were at the, at the Principality um, right we've had a packed pod Let's do a quick fire god or goddess of uh, of the week. Steve, do you, do you want to go first? Yeah, I've got one. Um, my god of the week is no question um, that outstanding uh, try scorer, Jamie Blamire, um, for various reasons. I, I love Newcastle because they get none of the benefits up in the northeast that all the other clubs do. Uh, their, their, their existence appears to be on a, on a shoestring sometimes, but they've come ba- come bast. They've they've put, they've bought. Um, uh, people into the England team, in the England squad, that not even I could probably argue with. Um, <clears throat> and uh, Blamire uh, launched only the second worthwhile England attack of the whole game with 10 seconds left. So God bless the bloke. I, I almost felt like jumping and uh, and cheering him on his way. What, what a great procession it was. Bonzi? I'm not going to call it a famous win, but I'm going to give a lot of credit to Andy Farrell. Um, I think it's as well as I've ever seen Ireland play. They had an intensity for 80 minutes. They had an intelligence to their game. Um, Farrell and Katz started slowly. They lost games they could have won. By the end of last year, they gave England a rare old trouncing. Uh, People underestimated their 60-point demolition of Japan you could see them building towards this game. They got it 100% right. It was, a, I nearly said, an immortal performance, but we mustn't get too carried away. It was an outstanding effort from Farrell. He's my God of the week. Andy, that is. There's a, there are so many standout performances. I thought Freddie Stewart was magnificent. I thought Waisea Nyasalevu for Fiji, mm. what, a, what a player yeah. he is. Mm. But um, one for the front row, Tyg Furlong. Um, uh, we'll get my God of the week just... You could have picked a few, a few of those island players. Caelan Doris, as as Alan Quinlan told us earlier, you know, had a had an enormous game. But yeah, big tag. We'll get we'll get my vote as God of the Week. Uh, gents, thanks for joining us, everyone, all listeners. Thank you for joining us. We've been the Ruck from the Times and the Sunday Times. We'll be here every week through the season, bringing you all the latest news and arguments and debates uh, on the game. So please follow or subscribe wherever you get your podcast from, and we'll be back next week to to have a look at England, South Africa and all the other big games. Can we get someone who agrees with me next week? (laughs) We've got a week to try and find someone. The Autumn Nation Series International Rugby concludes this weekend with five games live and exclusive on TalkSport 2. 
On Saturday, England will look to avenge their 2019 World Cup final defeat to South Africa. Wales welcome the Wallabies, France hosts New Zealand and Scotland take on Japan. Sunday sees Inform Ireland play Argentina. So download the TalkSport app and swipe to listen to TalkSport 2, your home for Autumn Nation Series Rugby. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.